Hi, this is Elva Hurst from Elvis Chalk Art. If you love chalk art and love to hear how God uses an ordinary person with an ordinary piece of chalk, you will enjoy the show and you will be chalked and amazed. This episode of Chalked and Amazed is brought to you by Monkey Wrench Press. Their newest release is of special interest to chalk artists everywhere, Chalking Without Making Dust by Noah Vale. Available in art stores nationwide. <laughs> oh, you are listening to Chalked and Amazed, and I'm your host, Carrie Kissler. My guest this episode is a wonderful artist from the Lancaster, Pennsylvania area, and our very first lady to be on Chalked and Amazed. Not that I haven't tried. <laughs> we hope to have more on soon. Now, this uh, young gal has a rather unique upbringing as chalk artists go, and as a child, kept hearing that art was frivolous, but she couldn't stop her sketching between chores on the family farm. Uh, today, she uses her artistic talent in a wide variety of ways, including messages of inspiration through her chalk art. I am pleased to be speaking with Mrs. Elva Hurst. Welcome to Chalk and Amazed, Elva. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be with you today. I want to let the folks here know exactly where you are located in the country. I am Pennsylvania, right in the heart of Dutch country, Lancaster County, which is the eastern part of Pennsylvania, and I can even talk Dutch. Ich kann Deutsch schwätze. Sehr gut. Yeah. <laughs> you actually are living on a farm, correct? Uh-huh, that's correct, in Lidditz. Uh, that's uh, maybe about 10 miles north of the city of Lancaster, and out in the country on a 20-acre farm. So are you farmers? Oh, uh, something you would call hobby farmers. I mean, my husband is a, is a, a jet pilot, and uh, he does farm when he's home, and I help out with the farming, but we don't have a whole lot of cattle, and we just have chickens for ourselves, and and I'm a cow. I have a cow that I milk and some beef cattle, and then we have some uh, acreage where we do sell some grain. But that's about it in the way of farming. And you have a very nice, neat, tidy-looking barn that I saw on the Internet. Uh-huh, yes, and by all means, come come sometime. Yes, we're going to talk more about that barn in a little while. First, I, I want to take a look backwards, as I do with all my guests, and take a walk down memory lane. Can you tell me about your first exposure to chalk art, Alva? I sure can, because I will never forget it. I was 16 years old, and let's see, I don't exactly know the year, exact year. I think it would have been 1986, I believe. And it was at uh, uh, Bill Gothard's basic youth conflict seminar. And at the end of the week, as you know, he does his chalk talks. And I was just amazed, and uh, I'll never forget the lesson because of the picture that I saw. But, of course, at that time, I had no idea what God had in store for me. But uh, I will never forget that time. Now, was that did that happen down in uh, the Tulsa, Oklahoma area? No, that happened here in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It was at the Hershey Arena. All right. Now, I know that you had some Bible school down in Tulsa and got involved in uh, some chalk talks down there. Yes, I did. Well, it's it's quite it's quite a story as far as how I actually started the chalk talks. Later, then after uh, let's see, when I was 18 years old, I was excommunicated from among the old order of knights, and I just had an incredible desire because I had a born again experience, and and I wanted to share the gospel. I just had just an intense desire to share the gospel, and I just had so many um, 
issues and things to overcome concerning um, my insecurity and and I was very shy and found it very difficult to talk to people. So <laughs> it's just amazing, you know, where God has brought me. But just uh, talking about this, you know, it's just a marvel how God takes us step by step into the call and the purpose that he has for our lives. So a part of that was um, in 1988, my boyfriend and I were married. Ray Hirsch is my husband. And he had a desire to go to Bible school, and so did I. So we packed up and went to Tulsa, and we lived in the city, and we loved Bible school. We hated the city, and, you know, we have both eighth-grade education. I went to one-room Amish and Mennonite school, and, and you know, we had good jobs here in Pennsylvania, and it was it really wasn't a problem that, that we didn't have a um, high school education or a college degree, you know. But we got there in the city, and that was a different story. We had a hard time getting jobs, and I finally uh, was able to get a job. Um, and we went to school till noon, and so we had the rest of the day to uh, to work a part-time job. And I was cleaning a house for an elderly Methodist lady, and she was so happy uh, with me, and I was so happy with her. We became good friends, and she introduced me to all her United Methodist women friends. And before I knew it, I was cleaning their houses too. One day, I was cleaning the house of one of the closets and found a box of books. Sunday school materials. I was majoring in a children's ministry at the Bible school and always looking for uh, ways that I could teach uh, the Bible stories to the boys and girls that would help them to hold their attention and, you know, to remember their lesson. And, and of course, we learned all about flannel graphs and visual aids, and there was a bunch of that stuff in that box. But in the bottom of the box was a book about chalk talk, and it was written by William Allen Bixler. Uh, I believe it was 1931 was the date that it was printed. So it was a very old book, and I just I remember pulling it out and looking at it and thinking, this would be a good way, you know, to teach the Sunday school lesson. And of course, I had remembered the chalk talk that I had seen Bill Gothard do. So I immediately uh, went to work, thinking of, of a way that I could illustrate the story that I was going to tell them that Sunday. And so I went ahead and did my first chalk talk, which was. Um, the story of the parable of the rich man and how he built bigger barns, you know. And so I had a big barn, and I had a little barn, <laughs> a big barn, you know, and it was very primitive. And and uh, But I just read the book from cover to cover and learned everything that I could and continued to apply that every Sunday as I taught. And I was just having a great time uh, with this, and, uh, and that's basically how, how it started for me in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So you were first exposed to chalk art uh, at the Bill Gothard Seminar, and what year was that again? That was uh, 1986. 1986. And then how much time uh, passed between then and when you discovered this book and decided to try it yourself? Uh, approximately four years. About four years. And did you give any thought in, in, during those four years about trying to do something with chalk? Did it ever? Because you never had, occurred to me. Never occurred to me. Now, I had been in, you know, drawing ever since I was a child. I had been doing painting. I started painting when I was 14 and, and just learning about oils. I had discovered Bob Ross on television when we moved to the city because someone was just amazed that we had no TV, and, and they brought us one. They brought one to our door and gave us one. <laughs> and, and I discovered the Waltons, and that's the only thing I felt that was good enough to watch because everything else was so worldly. But I discovered um, Bob Ross and the oil painting technique, you know. And so he's real quick, real bright and bold with his painting, you know, and so forth. And all those little things looking back were seeds, I believe, you know. 
and preparing me. But I would paint with Bob Ross with oil paints and, and paint with acrylics and and but never um, never never even I never visualized it. I never imagined it even. I'm I'm guessing that some of the techniques that uh, you saw Bob Ross use, you were able to cross over and use with your chalk art. Oh yes, the light against dark, dark against light, and well, you know, of course, his mannerisms. I just I just really appreciated his you know his personality. I was drawn to his personality and his his, his joy of painting, <laughs> you know, and his happy little skies and clouds and so forth. And and um, I, I you know. I probably use them more in my chalk art than I realize. Sure. I think I've done the same. So you uh, decided to give chalk art a whirl, but you didn't have any of the materials. Uh, no, I did not. I was using the little pastel pieces, you know, and little Canson paper, and I was taping it to the chalkboard in the Sunday school room. I had no idea. I had never, you know, I'd seen Bill Gothard do it. I don't even remember what he used or you know, I had no clue whatsoever, and so that's what I, I used that for several years until um, someone at church, you know, after two years of Bible school, we came back to Lancaster County and attended a church, and I got involved in the children's ministry there and continued to use the chalk talks uh, in teaching. And one of the other children's workers came back from a, a conference and said, I met this really cool guy who does this chalk talks, and here's his name, and here's his phone number, and it was Gary Means. Now, that's an interesting story. So it was somebody else who was studying chalk, or they just happened to No, they, he was a part of the conference. I guess they were, uh, they were learning all different techniques of, of teaching, you know, communicating the gospel. They learned flannel graph, and they learned all kinds. Stuff and Gary was there, you know, with the chalk talk as a part of you know a workshop in, at the conference. I don't even know where it was, but uh, so that's how I first heard about Gary. Well, Gary was my first teacher in chalk, so I know what a uh, what a wonderful man he is and how uh, well versed he is in chalk and how easily he teaches the subject. So, how did you learn from him? Then did, did you do some private lessons or? Well, I immediately called him on the telephone, and I can still see myself sitting on the back porch step with the telephone, and I called him, and he uh, said, "Oh, he told me about the big chalk, you know, the lecturer's chalk." And sure. I thought, "Well, that sounds great." And so he said, "I'll send you a set." And then he also sent me some of his booklets, which was um, just an introductory lesson on chalk art that he had made himself. I don't know if they're still available, but he had printed them himself, and about the invisible chalks as well. And he sent me some invisible chalk, and he told me how to use them over the phone. And so I, from that, uh, started, you know, using the lecture's chalk, and, and my husband uh, he sent me, um, he has a, just a piece of paper with instructions on how to build your own easel. He sent me that. And my husband looked at that and built me a big, huge, heavy easel. <laughs> and the tray was made with a piece of spouting, and I have retired it since then. But what I miss the most from that easel is this piece of spouting because my chalk didn't fall off my tray. It had high sides, you know. <laughs> So I would lug this thing around in this homemade wooden box, but it worked. So I would say five years from the time that I first read the book by William Allen Bixler to the time I met Gary was about five years. Okay. All right. Yeah. So your first lesson was over the phone. So my first lesson, you would say, I, I would say was on the telephone with yes. Gary. 
And was that followed up at some point with an uh, actual uh, visit to one of his uh, workshops? He, he then uh, he invited me to a workshop, and I wasn't able to go right away. I mean, we came back from Bible school just dirt poor, and I think I waited a couple of years, and then I went. Uh, I was actually pregnant with my first son, and my husband was in flight training, couldn't go with me, so it really was a leap of faith for me to get on. I didn't even know how to get on the turnpike. I was hardly ever out of Lancaster County other than, you know, being in Tulsa, but I... Uh, went down the highway, and it was a four-hour drive to Pittsburgh, but I was so blessed that weekend. I was, I was just practically in tears. Just uh, Getting to talk with other chalk artists was such a blessing, and I love the way that um, uh, he has everybody interact, you know, and show their work and critique their work, and I was just gleaning so much uh, from everybody and from Gary at that weekend. So I just came home just just full of ideas and just chafing at the bit, uh, you know, to to go to the next level. <laughs> sure. Now what, now, what year was that again? Oh, you know, that's a good question. Okay, let me think. Uh, that would have been 1994. 1994. So you were there a couple of years before I showed up. Okay, I guess so, yes. And, you know, from I made it a tradition then, I, I went about every other year. Uh, you know, I, I've had babies here and there. I have four children, so whenever I, you know, there's some years I missed. But I try and get there every other year. Well, if you were there in 94 and I was there in 96 for the first time, we may have uh, met each other. Good possibility. <laughs> Good possibility. Yeah. Uh, well, that's wonderful. Have you had any other teachers along the way besides Gary? Uh, I have not. And, you know, that uh, it was just uh, Gary. And, and, and I love his uh, – he's also an artist, and I can it shows in his pictures and – I have pretty much adopted his style as far as mostly using visible fluorescence. I mean, I, I I don't exactly know how I was introduced to ding tooling, but I did get my hands on his materials somewhere along the way, and I do like him. I think they're wonderful. I was just so settled into Gary's technique and enjoying it so much and and just had learned how to successfully use the visible fluorescence that I never did pursue the invisibles very much. Sure. Well, just a short sidetrack. Uh, on the website, chalkedandamazed.com, you'll find a, a booklet in the uh, right-hand sidebar called uh, Creating Hidden Pictures the Sneaky Easy Way. Uh-huh. Uh, um, somewhere along the way, I decided that I needed to find a quicker way to get hidden drawings done. And some of that stemmed from the fact that we were doing multiple programs at the same location and I couldn't spend an hour and a half or two hours trying to do right, a hidden drawing. Right. And uh, we had done, when we owned a home in Kansas City, done some stenciling on the walls of uh, the kitchen and the bathroom. And it just sort of seemed like a natural uh, progression. And so I developed some stencils that I have, and that's basically all that I use now. And I that know, is clever. And wow. I know that there is a right and a wrong way to use a stencil when you're doing a hidden drawing. Uh, but at the top of the website, uh, chalkedandamaze.com, you'll see a picture that uh, I drew. And the hidden picture uh, of the face of Christ actually is using uh, one of the stencils uh, that I've developed. So there is a quick way to do it. I know it can be really intimidating to try to do hidden pictures, but there is a simpler way. Well, that was my problem. I mean, I, I was so busy with young children, did not have time for all that preparation time. And so I just you know, just didn't do it. I, I do have a few programs where I have hidden pictures, and they're they're just quick, simple things. I mean, stuff that I can do in 15 minutes, an angel in the cloud, you know, <laughs> and and just simple, simple stuff. 
but that is an excellent idea with the stenciling. I don't want to get uh, too personal and talk about uh, you know painful memories, but you said something uh, earlier that interested me. I grew up in the uh, northern Indiana area near Shipshawana, uh, heavily uh, populated by Mennonite Old Order uh, and Amish as well, and that was your past. That was your history. Yes, yes. Tell me a little bit about that, whatever you care to share. And There was this undertone, how could you say, you don't get involved in things that are not necessary, what's not for heat and cold and food, you know, you just, it's a waste of time and, and, and so forth. And so, you know, you don't... Um, uh, you know, hobbies is not something you pursued. You, you pursued things that had to do with your future. And they're very successful when it comes to home life and family life. I mean, growing up as a young girl, everything that I did, you know, it went into the hope chest. You know, we, we got a hope chest when we were 14 or 16. And, you know, any embroidery that you did, any if that was a hobby, it all had to do with something that was going to be for your future home. Practical. Very practical. That's the word, yes. And I, uh, in the Amish school that I attended, you know, basics, reading, writing, and arithmetic, we never had science. I often jokingly tell people I just learned recently that the earth is round, and <laughs> you know, but, but we did learn what was important, and uh, it served me well through my life, but I was very dissatisfied in school. I, I just had such a hard time learning. My eighth grade teacher noticed that I enjoyed drawing, and, and she encouraged me to pursue art. And she was a, a very plain Old Order Mennonite, but she was different. <laughs> she was very different, and uh, she encouraged me to, um, uh, you know, buy art books. So after eighth grade, I um, went home and helped my father on our dairy farm, and in my spare time, I found some art books at yard sales, I think it was, and to this day, that is my hobby is to collect the how-to step-by-step, you know, how to paint books. And I got stacks of them in my studio that uh, as a lending library for my students. But I learned from those books about art. And um, at first, my father, you know, he would say in Pennsylvania, Dutch Cisonati, which means it's unnecessary. But when it started making money, <laughs> his tune changed, and he actually, I was 14 years old, and, and I read in one of the books, it takes three things to be a good artist. Number one is practice, number two is practice, number three is practice. I took that very seriously and made myself paint something every day, whether I felt like it or not. I painted on glass jugs from Mom's attic, I painted on stones from the field and shingles from the roof, you know, whatever. And neighbors, people start to take notice and, you know, hey, I, I could you paint one like that for me? I need a wedding gift, you know. And so I was 14 when a business actually started happening for me. And, and my father offered to drive me to gift shops, to offer my work for sale. And I, I discovered very quickly, no matter how ugly my artwork was, if I painted a horse and buggy on the slate, it sold. It sold. <laughs> the tourists would buy it. And so, you know, by the time I was 16, I had a full-time job. I would milk cows in the morning, hang wash on the line, help mom with breakfast. By 9 o'clock, I was sitting down and painting until 4 o'clock. It was time for supper and milking cows again. So um, that's, uh, I'm trying to think, what was your question again? <laughs> this is too much fun. <laughs> well, your father saw the practical side of your art, ability, and interest, so then it wasn't frivolous anymore. Well, it, it wasn't when, you know, now that I'm a parent and, and I see so much time wasted and things, and, you know, I, I, I'm still quite a practical person. There's things from my heritage that will always stay forever. And I, 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 I children very good work ethic and 
And and so um, I think when he saw that it was more than just a passing phase, and he got behind me and you know helped me out with supplies and stuff. But what also was very nice, I mean, my father was um, very frugal. I mean, my mom and dad both were very frugal, and and he was always buying equipment and so forth for the farm, and would always gripe when mom needed money, and I hated that fuss. And my great goal in life was to make money for mom, so she wouldn't have to ask dad for money, and. And that's kind of a tender subject with me, you know, because my mom and dad didn't have a good relationship, so it was so much fun to give my money, which in our tradition, you you know, you gave most of your money to your parents until you were 18, and then you would get half of it maybe. Or, or when you were 16, you got a fourth of it. When you were 18, you got half of your paycheck. And then when you were 21, you got all of it, and then you had to pay board, you know. <laughs> so uh, that's just kind of how it worked for us. You said earlier something that uh, caught my ear. Having had um, Amish and uh, Mennonite friends growing up through my uh, grade school, high school years, you said that along the way you were excommunicated. I was, yes, and oh, I I just don't want to get too sidetracked here with um, something other than chalk, but I'll try and keep it as brief as possible. I was 14. I was a reader. I loved to read. We didn't have television in our home. We didn't have radio. So, uh, you know, I loved to read the art books and, and story books, and I always was attracted. I did not get involved in romance, novels, and fiction. I loved the true stories. I would read biographies and autobiographies of um Corey Ten Boom and uh, Billy Graham, and they had an incredible impact on my life, and I started seeking God for myself, and I did not hear the salvation message clearly at my church. I mean, works was so emphasized that somehow the message of, you know, grace through faith was just lost. And and so um, I, I was scared about not being good enough, you know, to get to heaven and so forth. So I started reading the Bible for myself when I was 14, and, and um, simple verse, in Acts, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. So I started to believe in God and received His gift of salvation, and and um, I was born again. And just it, it just began an incredible journey for me of growth and and knowing God and walking with Him. And and I, I began to um, what's the word? I, I I lost purpose in all the traditions that we did for righteousness' sake. Um, you know, we were very plain, we wore the head covering, we did this, we did that, and the other thing. And and just knowing grace <laughs> and faith, you know, salvation by grace and faith, all the others, it just kind of it didn't mean anything to me. But I still stayed plain, you know, but I was hungry and, and thirsty for the Word of God. So I started a Bible study with my girlfriends when I was 16, and uh, they enjoyed it very much. And each Sunday there was more girls and more girls, so we had like, a group of 22, you know, and then the parents started getting wind of it, and uh, they, you know, we didn't do Bible study, you understand, in our church. We had no Sunday school, we had no vacation Bible school, no Bible studies, and you you got your teaching from, you know, from the minister Sunday morning, and so they forbade their daughters to come to the Bible study, and they said, you know, we've, we've heard that, um, you know, people that go to Bible studies go off the left wing, you know. Uh-huh. So they had this fear about that. And, of course, I realized later, you know, you get into the Word of God for yourself. You become enlightened, <laughs> and you might leave some of those things that you were taught, and that was the fear that they had. And so um, I was gleaning a lot of spiritual input from other ministries uh, other than our church, and the bishops heard about it, 
And they came to see me one day, and they said, if you keep going the path that you're going, you can't be a member of the Weaverland Conference, which was our particular conference. And they said, uh, you know, communion time was in the fall, and, and that's the time when you examine yourself and each other, <laughs> basically. And, and they said, if you don't call us by Sunday with a decision, you'll be excommunicated. Well, that Sunday, my boyfriend and I and another couple who had accepted Christ, you know, and wanted to share the gospel, we had planned to go to New York City to pass out gospel tracts. And so I was sort of in a rock and a hard place. I'm like, well, you know, I had no desire to leave. I mean, really, I didn't. I had a desire for to share the gospel and to, for them to see the light, so to speak, but I, I hadn't figured in on leaving. But I, I didn't want to deny my experience with God. And so I, uh, you know, I didn't call. I didn't call him. So, you know, I came home Sunday, and I said, Mom, what happened? And Mom said, yep, they mentioned your name. You're excommunicated. And there's there's other details involved that I won't get into that probably contributed to the excommunication. But that's how it happened. All of a sudden, I was without a church, and so I started visiting and um visiting other churches, and it made my father very, very upset because basically what happened, all of, out of nine brothers and sisters, eight of them uh, also had revival in their life, and they left the Mennonite church and uh, upset my father so terribly that for a brief time he had to be put in a mental institution. And it was a very difficult time, and he made me leave home because he felt I was at fault, and, and you know, I, I walked down the road without a home, without a place to go to, and walked to my brother's house, and my married sister took me in, and and it was kind of a hard time, but things began to turn around um, years later. It was about a process of 10 years that my relationship with my father was restored, and he himself was born again and became a different man, and... So it's all better now, but it was it was a difficult time. (laughs) Wonderful story. I appreciate you sharing that. So I'm sure you have associates, friends, and acquaintances who are still in the uh, Mennonite and Amish Mennonite. uh... Um, I I do. You know, the Mennonites don't shine like the Amish do. However, they show their disapproval in unspoken, spoken and unspoken ways. So I was, you know, I lost my friends, but God gave me new friends and. And life went on, but again, in the process of time, my relationship was restored with my prior community. And in fact, one of my most precious memories of of Chalk Talks is being invited to the minister's home. And if I get emotional about this, because it's so touching to me, um, just last winter I was invited to a minister of, of the church where I was excommunicated to do a Chalk Talk for him and his family and his friends for his 50th wedding anniversary. They loved it. They absolutely loved it. And ever since then, I'm getting calls from other families, and you know, um, I can't, you know, I, I can't come into their church because I don't wear a covering. But they'll have me come into their homes, you know, to share a chalk talk. They they enjoy it so much. I do chalk talks for their businesses, their their business banquets, you know. That's so wonderful. And so it's a great thrill yes. for me to see how that has happened. Oh, yeah. you answered my question, uh, and that was: Have you been able to return uh, to your roots to your history and share your chalk with those from your past and uh, to hear that story is a is a yes. wonderful confirmation that of the power of of god uh, through chalk art yes 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 and it definitely has been through the chalk talks that was the tool or that was the open door yeah now you just said something uh you do chalk talk for businesses 
Now, I'm, many chalk artists that I've spoken with over the years uh, chalk exclusively within the walls of the church or church functions. And I noticed from your website that you have quite a, a listing of different programs that you've prepared, things for birthdays, weddings, anniversaries. Uh, you have a one-room schoolhouse program, farm yes. memories, civic yes. lion scouting, all this stuff. Yes, yes. Yes, I am so thankful for those open doors that have been given to me. And, you know, one of my first public chalk talks out outside of the Sunday school class uh, was a Lions Club. And it's just, <laughs> I'm not sure how it happened even, but I didn't know a thing about the Lions. I thought they had pet lions. It was some sort of <laughs> hobby they had or something. But I, I, I did my research. I was desperate to find out who these are about, and I learned all about Lions, Liberty, Our Nation, Safety, which is the the abbreviation, the, 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 the their their slogan, you know. And and I learned all about their history. They have an incredible history and very Christian, very very Christian. So many of my chalk talks, even with the scouting, I just go back. I go back. I use their materials and preach the gospel with their materials. And all my chalk talks are very gospel. The gospel is all over the place. But I tuck it in very tactfully in with the history and, uh, and I, of course, have personal application and so forth and, and music and song that is inspiring. And so the message is there and it's very clear. If you had to divide percentage-wise of, of programs that are specifically done for religious, you know, specific kinds of events versus uh, secular kinds of settings and venues, what would that breakdown look like? Fifty percent, I would say. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Probably leaning more on the secular side, maybe with the social. I do so many social clubs, senior citizen, you know, the meatloaf gang and the elderberries on Mulberry Street, you know, and they just pass my name around. I do so many of those. How about the Red Hat Society? Have you been the there? The Red Hat Society, yes. <laughs> they got my name, and oh, goodness, yes. I get calls from them every year. So how many programs did you say you've developed now over the years? I have 30 so far. And they're all pre-recorded, and so, you know, again, when I first read the book, Chalk Talk Made Easy, you know, Alan Bixler, Mr. Bixler taught, you know, you talk while you drew, and that's just, just so frightening to me, and I just couldn't see myself doing that. I just um, decided that someday when I'm better at this, I'll do it the right way, you know. In the meantime, my very first recording was in, in, in the bathroom at, at our apartment, which was next to the airport. Airplanes were coming and going all the time. I didn't want that sound effect on my tape. So <laughs> I would read the story that was in the curriculum and, you know, first play my guitar, have a little music, read the story. And that was my talk. Okay. And that's that's what I drew. I, I you know, punch record and play, you know, on cassettes, and then I'd play that, and that's what I drew with. And of course, as the years went by, I started doing them professional, you know, having them professionally recorded at a recording studio, and and having sound effects and music mixed in professionally. And so I have a, I have a 25 minute length, you know, approximately 25 minute length of music, song, and narration, and I just pull that out. I mean, many times now, I mean, just with my busy family schedule, you know, all right, we're going, we're going to the Lions Club tomorrow night. I'll, I'll I have, I have them all in my suitcase, so we just pull it out, play it, and that's what we do. <laughs> Very little preparation anymore. Well, with 30 programs, I would think you could uh, return again and again and again and probably not have to develop anymore. Well, that's basically what happens. They just have me back again and again and again. And, you know, different times of the year. I got stuff for every holiday, basically, you know, and, and, and general themes in between. So 
works well. So what's the general process that you use when when it's time to develop a new program? Somebody calls you, let's say, for a Christmas program, and, and you've used all the Christmas material you have. You've got to come up with something new. What would that look like, that whole process? Well, I tell you what, I guess what comes to mind off the top of my head, I got a call from the mayor in Harrisburg asking me to do a chalk talk for a Christmas tree lighting ceremony. Uh, several years ago, and I said, uh, well, sir, I was already booked for that Christmas, and which happens, you know, very quickly, and usually by the mid of the year, I'm, I, my Christmas is already filled. So he said, well, let's, let's book you for next year. And I, inwardly, I'm like, that's great, you know, I need time to develop this. <laughs> and so I had a year, and you know, with, with young children, this is basically what happens. I, you know, I, an idea comes, and I'll build on it. Ideas come while I'm in the bean patch, or I'm listening to a local Christian radio station while I'm washing dishes, and I'll, I'll hear a song, I'll jot it down, and, and I, all these notes that I take as I'm working or, you know, reading something unrelated to the chalk talk, but the Holy Ghost is always there to help me in this way, and, and it comes together, and I, I put it on my briefcase, and then when it comes time to actually sit down and write it and put it together, I might uh, get a babysitter or go to Grandma's or my husband's home from work, and I'll go hide out in the basement or the attic or the barn now, now that I have my studio in the barn, and write. But, you know, it all comes together piece by piece for me. And so the... um that particular invitation, I had a whole year, so I was praying, I was saying, Lord, and I realized that this was going to be, you know, a secular uh, event, and so, and I, I, I have a commitment to have the gospel in all of my chalk talks, and so I was really praying about uh, what to do, and the idea came to take the, since it was a Christmas tree lighting ceremony, I I had found a book about the speeches of presidents at Christmas tree uh, lighting ceremonies at the White House. So, I actually got the soundtracks of of you know Ronald Reagan and and as far actually as far back as um, President Roosevelt and and presidents in between, and so I had this patriotic, historical Christian true meaning of Christmas coming out of the mouth of Ronald Reagan's speech, uh, the gospel that is, and put it together in a very very nice chalk talk that I called Oh Christmas Tree. And uh, by the time <laughs> November came, I was all ready. I recorded December came. I, I mean, I practiced, and, and I was ready. And, uh, you know, they don't all take me a whole year, but many of them take me months to develop. Mm-hmm. And so how many would you say you uh, produce in a, in a year? How many new programs? Well, um, I would say as of about five years ago, I was developing about two a year. And I had started writing some children's books uh, several years ago, and so now it's down to one a year. And I actually didn't do any last year. I was busy with the book. But this year I have there's one that I have to do for Christmas, you know, again, because I'm going back so many times and have used up my programs, and so I'm having to develop a new one this Christmas. So, I'll, you know, I'd say about one a year. All right. Well, you uh, helped me segue into another area that I wanted to chat about, and that is you were writing your books. Uh, I've spent some time on your website and looked at the different areas that you have uh, to offer there, and I've noticed you are an exquisite artist. You do far more than just chalk art. You do, yes. uh, you do watercolor and pastel and some other stuff as well. Yes, I do, and I love it. absolutely love anything to do with art, and that started way back yonder, you know, when I was even uh, before I went to school. I can remember drawing pictures of the farm. I'm particularly attracted to farm and country. Those are some of my favorite subjects is barns 
And, uh, of course, you know, as a 14, 15, 16-year-old, uh, farmers would bring me pictures of their farm, and I'd paint it on milk cans. And that was my specialty for many years. Um, so, you know, the chalk art is one aspect of of the art that I do, <laughs> but it's my favorite. I mean, I, I, I enjoy the pastels and the watercolor, but the chalk talks is just so fulfilling because I get to share the gospel with it. Exactly. Well, and then your writing. When did you decide to try your hand at writing? You know, I heard all the time people would say, you ought to, you ought to write, you know, you should write a book. Uh, I, I get into a lot of non-Mennonite um, churches, and they're very much interested in my story. And I will sometime write an autobiography, but in the meantime, I had been writing about my childhood on the farm in a series called Farm Life Series. And uh, I just finished book three, which is called A Country Girl's Christmas. Our Christmas is so different than what I see now, you know, with my children and my friends' children. And yet it was very meaningful because we did understand that it was about Jesus being born in the manger. And we had no Santa Claus, no gifts even. We had no trees, but it was special. And so I wrote about it, wrote about how we celebrate Christmas in the one-room school. And that's book three. And I just found that I enjoy, you know, the, the storytelling probably started, you know, with my experience at the Bible school and teaching children and having to learn how to do that. And then second year, you know, we went on to learn a lot of things like, you know, how to preach a sermon. We had to learn sermon building. So it was through those steps of building a sermon that I learned how to write a story. And I used it in the chalk talks, and I use it now in the books. And it's just in me, I guess. I enjoy it very much. <laughs> so book three, a title. the title of book three is A Country Girl's Christmas. That's right. And uh, the other titles, I think, are When School Bells Came. Uh, when School Bells Call. Oh. Well, book one is The Pony Cart Adventure, and it's it's about uh, what what a summer vacation is like on the farm, you know, right. without without television, computer, radio, and such. And sure. we, we made our own adventures. The Pony Cart Adventures is one of them. And so The Pony Cart Adventure is book one. Book two is When School Bells Call, and that was about school, uh, my experience in the one-room school and some stories, <laughs> and um, Harvest Time on the Farm. And then book three is The Country Girl's Christmas. And so you uh, are self-publishing these books? I am. I am. And I, I sell most of them through the Chalk Talks. I have a book table. But I do distribute them myself uh, in local um, shops and bookstores. And I, I just haven't branched out any farther than that because I haven't had time. I did find a distributor who has like a book rack ministry. He's a Mennonite man. And he sells quite a few for me through his uh, book rack ministry. Uh, and it's still just in Pennsylvania, but uh, eventually plans to branch out in other states. But that's where it is so far. And they're available as well on your website, correct? On my website, that's correct, yeah. Let's let people know the uh, website address. It is Elvis Chalk Art, not Elvis, like Elvis Presley. It's E-L-V-A-S. C-H-A-L-K-A-R-T, all one word, ElvisChalkArt.com. And uh, your books are, are uh, available there as well as your other products. Tell us about some of the other products you have. Uh, I have prints. I have prints of my artwork, which is in watercolors and pastels, and I do have some artwork on note cards, like uh, Christmas cards, allocation cards, and which uh, I do sell those on my book table as well. Um 
see what else do I got there. I haven't been there lately. <laughs> uh, I have a DVD, which is uh, it's a chalk talk for children. Draw with me, I think it's called. Draw with me. Part two is draw. It has two yes. parts. Okay. Part one is a chalk talk. Part two is called draw with me, and it's a little chalk art lesson for children. And you've developed a chalk art coloring book. Yes. Yes, uh, it's currently sold out, and I'll probably make some more, but I took the bogus paper, cut it down to a quarter-size sheet, had it and binded it, and um, laminated the cover, and then there's like four lessons in there with step-by-step pictured instruction, how to draw a picture. Elva. And I, I <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful, Elva. You are an entrepreneur. <laughs> well, what happened, you know, again, this is, it's, it's just God takes you step by step, you know, gives, gives you an idea. I look at my husband. This is what I do when I have an idea. We go out to eat, which is something we rarely ever do, but when we eat. And then I pull out my idea and I say, look, I had this idea. You know, some are really crazy and dumb and weird. Others are just really cool. And so I always bounce them off of him <laughs> and he helps keep my feet on the ground. But we've done that and that has actually, and the kid. I have a draw with me kit where it has the the bogus paper rolled up with with chalk and and a blender and 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 a DVD or a video of the the draw with me video you know the instructions and so uh, out of that came um, oh I developed that me about six years ago I started getting all these people wanting to know more and so I started classes mostly for children so every January and every August which is my slowest chalk talk time. And I have actually a little bit of time to teach, so I have classes, chalk art classes. And most of it is just children who want to have a good time. Oh, they want to touch the chalk, and, and they just have so much fun with the black light, you know, the fluorescent chalk, and we turn the lights out and we see what it does and what the black light does for the picture, you know. So it's kind of a fun, hands-on art thing. I do a lot of homeschool children. Uh, so that, you know, that started with the chalk coloring book. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Now, I want to talk a little bit about your studio. Barnyard Art Studio is located within uh, a very old barn. Uh, yes, 1859. It was built in 1859. Uh, well, tell me about the decision. How how did it? Uh, how did you decide to turn part of that barn into a studio? Well, I, I realized I was teaching out of a very dingy basement. I mean, my 1859 farmhouse floor. We did get it concreted, very dingy down there, and I was teaching, you know, 8 to 10 to 12 students down there and need more room. So I thought maybe there's a back shanty out behind the house, thought we'd dress that up a little bit and do that. But one day I was, I like to go for my prayer walks through the fields, and I was coming down the field and uh, just seeing the corner of my barn there. We had a big barn bay uh, where teenagers from the neighborhood would work on their cars, and, and, and we had the idea of you know, telling them to go and fixing up that area for a studio. And so, you know, again, I, you know, I didn't visualize that very long ahead of time or I didn't dream about it, talk about whatever. It just sort of happened kind of suddenly. Next thing I knew, I had this big studio, and we thought, oh, isn't this nice? And and looked out the windows and see the horses and the cows, and, and you know, let's call it Barnyard Art Studio. Okay, so we got a name, and so... Oh, got some business cards made. Okay, and so we made up some flyers to put on my book table of classes that I offer. I offered you know, watercolor classes, pastels, drawing, and the chalk art. And then I have someone here who does cartoon teaching, too, over the summer. And, and I have all these ideas, <laughs> you know. And we decided to have a grand opening event last year with an art and craft show. 
And we we had a, a local newspaper, a farm newspaper, come out. Actually, they saw me do a book signing somewhere and asked for an interview. And in the process of that interview, they offered to advertise my show. I had all these farm people come out and other people as well. They all just had such a wonderful time coming in there. And I had all these arts and crafts from my relatives, my Mennonite relatives and friends. And they had a good time, and I had a wonderful time, and we decided that we might make this a tradition. So I'm going to do this again uh, in the fall. Only bigger and better this time. We're expanding. We're putting a loft in the barn. We're going to bring in a bluegrass band. We're going to have hot food catered and and more vendors. And so I don't know. <laughs> you are you know, an <laughs> <laughs> There's one problem. I don't have enough of time in my day to do everything that I want to do. I think life is just so full of... Wonderful adventures. <laughs> oh, it surely is. And you say you have you have four children. I do. Ages of uh, fourteen is my oldest. Eleven, eight, and five. But they're all the age now where they're they're involved in my business and my ministry. They're all part of it, and so it's become a family affair. And are you homeschooling them as well? I do not. I, I, I practically failed school all the way through all my school. Very bad taste in my mouth about figuring and arithmetic and so <laughs> forth. And I'm scared. I'm just plum scared. Although my oldest son, he just finished eighth grade at a local Christian school and needed to make a decision where to go with high school, we decided to homeschool, uh, do the Pennsylvania Charter School online, which is what he'll be doing in the fall. Uh, let me make sure I understand this. You, you, you and your husband decided to finish off part of the barn and make it into the art studio. Yes. And about how many square feet is it? Oh, don't ask me that question. I don't think it's square feet. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's big. It's a... I can. I got in, uh, well, I tell you, last year at the chalk, I'm, I'm sorry, at the art show, I advertised a, as a closing event uh, a chalk talk. And we had 50 people in there, and it was about half full. So I don't know if that helps you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, you know, you may end up becoming the uh, the premier chalk art professor in Pennsylvania. Hey, Lord willing, I know whatever he has in mind, I'll go for it. But I do see, I do see that I have some more maturing to do, and and yet I also see that I have something to offer. I have learned a lot. I value what the Lord has taught me through other people, and I'm very willing to pass it along to others. I have maybe six or so other chalk artists who are now actively doing chalk talks, which I had helped to learn and get started, and I just think there needs to be more. So I hope in the future to offer maybe some sort of seminar at some point, but at this time, I feel, you know, Gary's up there in Pittsburgh. I had invited him down to do one in this area, and he might do that at some point. of This year he's going to have it there in Pittsburgh, Wonderful. but I did want to make that available, yeah. Well, what do you think we can do to help improve uh, the growth of chalk art as a ministry form? Uh, you know, I, I looked at that question and, and thought about it, and, and it's, it's just a mystery to me that not more people do it, seeing as it is such an effective tool especially in Christian work, and I don't know. I hear this all the time. People that didn't see a chalk talk before, I'll come to their church or, or, or club or whatever, and they'll come up afterwards, you know, practically in tears, saying, oh, that was awesome, you know, I had goosebumps. And, you know, I, I, was, I, I was prepared to see something boring. You know, when, when I heard it's going to be a chalk talk, I thought it was going to be boring. And I'm just amazed. It was not, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, why do they think that? 
you know, I'm not sure. You know, either many people don't even know what a chalk talk is, especially people my generation and younger. They have no clue. I find from older people, senior citizens will tell me when they were a little boy and girl in Sunday school, they remember a chalk artist coming into the church. And it's just a mystery to me why not more people aren't doing it. You know, I've been uh, chatting with different chalk artists on the show here and ask them the question, why do you suppose the secular world, entertainment world, hasn't picked up on the effectiveness of chalk art and use it in, uh, in, the, in the entertainment industry? I believe that God has set it aside <laughs> as a sacred tool to use for the gospel. I'm just kidding. But, you know, is there anybody, is there anybody outside the no, church? not really. There are a couple. Anybody? There are a few uh, who do use their art skills in the speaking circuit. Uh, you'll go on uh, places online uh, like keynote speakers and different things like that, and there are a few who use their art along with their speaking. You know, they'll do corporate events and this and that, and they're certainly not intended to be gospel programs. Right, so, right. So there are a few, but, you know, most of those people who are doing that are Christians, that's interesting. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they have, you know, gained their, their chalk art skills within the church, and they also do some gospel work, but they have they have successfully transferred it uh, over into the secular world. But it just has seemed like a, a total mystery to me why more people aren't using it in, oh, I don't know, nightclubs and, you know, other venues. Right. Right. I mean, it's just so fun to watch. I mean, it's fun. Sure. And I have a couple of friends who are magicians and comedians who work the cruise line circuit. Yes. And I have thought that chalk art would be a smash hit <laughs> on the cruise line uh, you know, circuit. It, does it just need to be discovered? I mean, do whoever organizes those cruises, do they just hadn't they thought about it yet? I, I think that it is such a an obscure kind of subgenre, you know, of the performing arts world that most people are still rather unaware of it. And, and someone I can't remember I was interviewing recently said, I think that it has a lot to do with the fact that um that all the teachers within the chalk art world are Christians, and they are teaching other Christians to do it within the yeah. church. Uh, someday there may be someone who decides to uh, to teach for secular purposes. But as you, you know, you said something interesting, that God has kind of set it apart, and it does almost seem that way. Well, it seems like it's, 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 it's you know, I, I, the little history there is about it, it's, 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 it's been for evangelism purposes, the circuit-riding preachers, you know, do use it in the town square with their paper and charcoal or whatever. Yes. I want to back up for just a moment, Elva. You mentioned that you have a book table at your programs where you have your products for sale, your books, and I assume your cards and gift tags and your prints and, and other other things. Is that because when you book, you book on a honorarium uh, or offering basis? Uh, no, I actually have fee. I actually have a fee. However, I don't mention that fee when I go to churches or Christian schools or charity organizations. In that case, it would be an honorarium. But most times, I find they want to know. They want to know, and they'll say, "What you know? What do you need? We want to make sure that you know your cost is covered, and you know what do you need?" And I started out with just you know uh, on an offering basis, and I find that most times it frustrated people, you know, because they were like, "Well, is that enough?" You know, they hand me a hundred dollars. Is that enough? And you know, next thing I know, I'm, I'm giving this just suggested uh, donation, 
which in my opinion is you know akin to a fee <laughs> you know because you end up that's what they end up giving you because you know they, they they want an idea of what you need you know and i guess for myself i do so many uh non-church events that you know it is more entertainment than it is especially in their eyes than it is ministry or it winds up being ministry and i my philosophy is my ministry is my business and my business is my ministry and i don't separate the two you know so yes i do have a fee but the book table thing, uh, no, my husband, I, I have never felt like I needed to make money. I have never, that has never been my goal, my reason, my purpose. Uh, my husband makes a good living for our family. Um, it just, people, it, it was like a shadowing, if you know what I mean. It was like an extension of what I did that night, and it was a continued witness, so to speak. I can't tell you how many times that uh, videos, which I don't have right now, completely out of them, but I used to have my programs on videos, were handed to other people. And other people had the whole neighborhood together for Christmas and showed my Christmas chalk talk. And so there, I wasn't there, couldn't be there, but the video did the work for me. And then, of course, with the books, and, of course, oh, just so many doors open with this. And... um so, no, I must say, it didn't come out of needing money. For me, it didn't. It didn't come out of supplementing or, or paying for whatever I, they didn't pay me. Um, you know, I'll have something of a, um, uh, when when a nursing home calls me, and I, I know they, you know, I, I know some groups have limited budgets, you know, and so I, I just mention a cost only. And sometimes in those cases, whatever I sell will, you know, give me the money that I need for my time and so forth. But most times I am, you know, well compensated, you know. Sure. I, I remember early on in our ministry we had a, a book table, product table, and different things that we had available. And it helped to supplement what we did on the road. It's a wonderful thing that you can have it but not need it. It's there as an extension of your ministry, as you say. Well, and I have done a lot of this stuff. You know, I did something for the American Cancer Society, and and they paid me my hundred and fifty dollars. And then I had my, you know, I had my table, and then you know all the uh, profits, all the proceeds I gave back. So I feel like I can do a lot of good things with this. <laughs> you know, with the money that I make, I can do a lot of good things. And I just feel like it's being a good steward of 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 the ideas that God has given me. And I can, you know, I can use them for good because <laughs> I'm a Christian and I have, you know, God's spirit. He shows me what to do with it and I can do a lot of good with it. I, I hope you don't mind me asking, is your set fee for uh, a non-Christian church event around $150 then? It is. It is. And I find that most times they will say, oh, that's very reasonable, you know, especially after having seen the program and uh, they get the painting. Oh, they're very happy about that. Sure. And, uh, you know current gas prices and so forth, I, I very seldom do I get complaints about that. Once in a while, I'll have a group say, oh, we're just a small group, and and um, uh, we usually just give 100. And in that case, sometimes I'll, I'll flex a little bit, you know. I understand. Now, I'm, I'm curious, when you go to a church, uh, and I say this for the benefit of those who, uh, weekend warriors out there who are trying to operate on a free will love offering type of basis, what would you say would be the average offering that you would... Depends if you're in a Mennonite church, <laughs> a Pentecostal church. Uh, it, it depends on the denomination, I find. Uh, 
And, of course, the size of the church, although that doesn't hold true. Some small churches have been so generous and just blessed me above and beyond I could ever imagine they would give me. I mean, I got $300, you know, in a small church, and the next big church would give me $100, you know. So an average, uh, I would say, somewhere between 1 and 200. How about your Sunday mornings? Uh, when you're doing a program, uh, I assume that there are times when you'll be doing something on a Sunday morning at a church. Yes. What's it look like? Well, I'm interested in what it looks like, but before you answer that question, do you have a problem with, with churches saying, we don't want you to sell anything in our church? Oh, very, 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 very seldom, although I always ask. I always ask with every group, and most of them, you know, will be glad for the opportunity, especially families. I find families, the children, they're so happy for the books, and I'll hear back from them Wanting book two and three, you know, and um, so most times it's not a problem. There has, I would say, since I'm doing this with the book table now about four years, it's only been twice, and I average 130 chalk talks a year. About 130. It's- Yes. So you're a full-time chalker, aren't you? Well, I, I'm a full-time mom, and this is my hobby. This I do on the side. But, yeah, there are seasons. Uh, the month of May, I had 19 chalk talks, and I got 60 invitations for May alone. Oh my. But that's a busy time, along with Christmas, and it's not that crazy, you know, every month. But I do find myself wishing there was more people in my area doing it and um, because there's so many open doors. Oh, that's a wonderful thing to hear. So tell me, yes, what does your typical program look like? Uh, now, that depends on how much time they give me, and usually we work that out ahead of time. If the pastor's on vacation, I, I get to the Methodist churches, the Lutheran churches, UCC, all kinds of churches. And if I have the whole service uh, and they give me the freedom to do that, you know, we'll discuss that ahead of time, I will... Do something very often for the children, first of all. I have the children up. Sometimes I'll read them one of my picture books uh, or have a little gospel line, a little lesson, four or five, ten-minute lesson, and then I like to give them little Bibles, little promised Bibles, and they go back to their seats. And then I very often share my testimony. I have, you know, five-minute, ten-minute, fifteen, twenty, thirty-minute version worked out depending on... Um, how much time I'm given, and then I do the chalk talk, and then I have some kind of very brief application, and if appropriate, I will do an invitation. Most times I work that out with the pastor. Most times the pastor will do that. Sometimes I will do it, but I usually do that in church settings only. Uh, I will have some sort of open-ended, you know, if you want to know more about it, you know, come talk to me if I'm at a secular place because that's not why they invited me to do that. You know, they have no problem with me doing the gospel chalk talk, but most times they don't appreciate an invitation. So, but for a Sunday morning I at a church, I will do that. And um, uh, so that would be maybe 45 minutes to an hour. And, of course, uh, you try and have the church dark, you know, and most times I can't Sunday mornings anymore. And so... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, <laughs> Elva, I just I just posted on Chalked and Amazed website a, a little article that I wrote called "Squeezing Ultra Bright Blacklight from Your Easel Hood," and uh, there is a little discussion there about how you can make your black light react to your chalk in uh, with twice the intensity. Wow. Wow. I I saw that last night, and I can't wait to see it, because it is a problem anymore. With the security lights in buildings, uh, you know, it's just really a problem. Yes, and it's it's pretty much solved. 
almost every venue that I have been in where uh, we, we just did a camp out in uh, southern Missouri, and they were morning programs, 9.15 in the morning, and they had some uh, you know plastic level or kind of blinds where a lot of light was still coming through. But uh, I knew that this uh, this solution was going to solve the problem, and it did. So wonderful! Yeah, something to look I can't at. wait to see it. Uh, Alva, I want to give you an opportunity to share some of your funniest stories that have happened to you, or an embarrassing moment that has happened to you on stage. <laughs> oh boy, where do I begin? Uh, well, you know, I did tell you about. Uh, well, first I'll start with the most embarrassing. I don't know. I I. Probably when my slip was slipping out about two inches through my whole program, I didn't know it until my husband told me afterwards. That's embarrassing. But what was really, um, oh, maybe about two years ago, I was doing a chalk talk for a very formal event. It was a tuxedo and evening gown event for the Eastern Star, the Order of the Eastern Star, and they were honoring their worthy maiden and uh, matron. And uh, I was to do this chalk talk, and uh, my CD refused to work. And I tried numerous times, and I tried Plan B and C, and it just didn't work. And um, so I have discovered that if you stay calm, you know, everybody else will stay calm, and they sort of take their cues from you, you know. <laughs> and so I have, you know, tried to practice that, and it was particularly hard this time because I'm like, what am I going to do? And so, well, I said then, I guess we'll just have to sing while we draw. The worthy maiden, who was a matron who was at the head table, stands up and says, I will sing, keep drawing. And so I continued to draw, and she started to sing, I declare, what was a song of the spirit. I mean, it was not a song out of a hymn book, but it was a spiritual song, and she would sing about what I was drawing. I drew a Bible, and she'd talk about the message of the Bible, and I drew a cross, and I drew a rainbow, and she, I mean, it was God. It was just such a God thing. I mean, the goosebumps were going up and down my spine. I'm like, I can't believe this is amazing. We get to the end, and then I had them all sing some kind of hymn together while I was doing the black light, you know, and it all worked out beautifully. I went home, put my CD in, and it worked. And all I could figure out was they had given me a table, and I like to elevate my speaker sometimes. This particular time I had put my the player up on the, uh, it was like a card table that was padded, and it was a large group, so I had the volume up really loud, maxed it out. And I think the bouncing, I don't know, that's all I could figure out later, you know, caused my CD to skip, skip, skip. And But, you know, there has been stuff like that happen in these 19 years that I've been doing Chalk Talks, and each and every time God works something out somehow. But um, Acapella Chalk. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, hey, I, I got to do what William Allen Bixler taught in his book, you know. <laughs> but um, most precious was a call that I got from uh, an Amish gentleman asking if I'd come and do a chalk talk for their business banquet. It was the very first Amish chalk talk. And I said, well, sure, I'd be glad to. I said, well, now, I, you know... I have lights, so I need electricity. Right. Oh, it's not a problem. He says, we'll hook you up to the generator. So I went, and oh, then I said, then I said, um, well, okay, that, that'll work fine. Um, but I said, I, I have music. Is that okay? I, I told him I draw with music in a story. Oh, that'll be all right. So I went, and, and he invited, you know, to stay, me and my family to stay for supper with them. They were going to have their supper, and they call it supper, not dinner, you know, and and I was looking forward to this Amish meal. I was so looking forward to this. Well, I get there, 
and they had Pizza Hut bring in pizza and Subway bring in this five-foot-long sub, you know, and I was disappointed. But we ate, and then uh, we did the chalk talk. So they went out and started up the generator and put the uh, extension cord through the window and uh, proceeded to do the chalk talk. Of course, the light would kind of flicker, you know, and, and, and the music worked just fine. I kept it kind of low. I didn't want to offend them, you know, with my music. I tried to pick one that, you know, was the Christmas carols and, and wasn't too contemporary, something that they would be able to enjoy, and they loved it. Those children, you know, there was children there, and, and they just sat afterwards. They just sat and kept looking at the picture. You know, they, they just didn't want to stop. You know, it, this was a movie for them. I mean, this is the closest thing to a movie they'd ever seen. And they just enjoyed it immensely. And ever since that, um, I get maybe about a dozen or so calls from Old Order Amish to do chalk talks for their business banquets. And I just love it every time. It's my favorite. And I have a story about an Amish school where um, a worldly friend of mine, I call her worldly, I mean a non-Mennonite friend, was a teacher in an Amish school, and she asked if I would come and do a chalk talk, and I did. And 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 one of the fathers who was on the board happened to see my me come in with my CD player and said, "No, that's not allowed." So I had to leave the CD player in the car, <clears throat> and uh, so I had the teacher read the story, read the script. And I don't know why I had it long, but I did, and so she read it while I drew. And uh, I did that several years in a row, and some years later I get a call from a, a Amish girl named Rebecca, and she said, you came to my school when I was in the sixth grade. Do you remember that, Valley View School? And I said, yeah, I remember. Well, she said, I'm a teacher now. Will you come and share with my students? She's over in the next valley. So I went there and, and did a chalk talk for her students several Christmases in a row. And just last month, James Snyder tells me that he meets Rebecca and Rebecca is now worldly, quote unquote, and she said that she was so influenced by the chalk talks, and she is now a youth leader in, in in an evangelical church. She left the Amish somewhere along the way, and was taking them on some mission outreach, you know, in her town. And so, I just thought that's neat. <laughs> Elva, you mentioned earlier that. Uh, your husband built your first easel. Yet, in a picture that I looked at on your website, it appears that you're using Dan Andra's flight easel. Is that what that yes, is? Yes, yes. I was so happy. I am so happy with that easel. And I discovered that through Eternity Arts, I believe it was. Uh, somehow I got his website and, and saw his easel advertised and have been using it now for several years. And it is just the best. I mean, this is my third easel now. And I just hope it never wears out. It is just awesome. And he's so good about I mean, I've had something break on, and he repaired it for me, and he's been so helpful. And I was having issues with my shoulder, pulling my easel in and out of my car, and the doctor said I was straining my my shoulder muscles too much with this. And, and you know, the homemade easel I had was 20 pounds heavier than this flight easel, but this flight easel is just the perfect weight. And uh, it's so easy, you know, five minutes, I can throw it up and down. 
and I appreciate it so much. I know Dan's health has not been very good recently, and uh, he's talked about having to discontinue construction uh, of the easel. I hope that he finds somebody that he can hand that over to. I hope so, too. I've been aware of his health problem, and I, I certainly hope that somebody else will continue that. Alva, you've given me over an hour of your time here, but before I let you go, what is it about chalk that, that compels you, that captures you, and that you've learned from it in, in using it over the it's years? a good question. Uh, as, a, as a medium, as a tool, I, I just love the way that you can cover mistakes. I love how I like because of its size. I like how big it is and how quickly you can do a picture with it. And it just amazes me how uh, effective of a tool that it is to capture the attention. Uh, many times I go into a group and uh, sleepy, you know, after dinner, and they'll just wake up. They'll wake up. They're watching. They're listening. They're drawn into the story through the chalk, the bright colors that are available, uh, makes it easy to do a picture, I think, easier. And uh, it's just so effective in in, uh, communicating something so important as the gospel. And you said earlier it opens so many doors, and that's so true. Oh, my. Yeah, had had it not been for the art, I mean, I get to go places where a preacher just wouldn't get to go or wouldn't be invited, you know, but because of the art, I get my foot in the door, and I just have never, never, never had a group regret that they had invited a chalk artist. I mean, when I did the chalk talk for the city for the um, Christmas tree lighting ceremony, uh, I was a little nervous because of how how clear the gospel was, and I didn't know how that would be received. After the chalk talk, I went down the hall towards the bath and washed my hands. I heard his footsteps behind me, and this gentleman goes, Ma'am, ma'am, can I talk with you? And I said, Sure. He says, That was amazing. That was amazing. But I can't believe they left you do that. <laughs> but I loved it. I liked it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I loved it, but I can't believe they left you do that. <laughs> I still can't believe it either. So it's <laughs> just... Um, powerful. Elva, before we part ways, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, just share with us anything that I may have missed, any questions that uh, you wished I had asked. Well, you have asked a lot of very, very good questions, and it's been so much fun talking chalk with you and and, uh, the ministry that it is. Elva, I'm so glad that you took the time to uh, respond to my email and agreed to be on the program. You've shared a lot of wonderful uh, bits and pieces and uh, stories from your ministry in chalk. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you, and I I appreciate the invitation. I just feel so honored and so privileged to talk to you. Well, I hope we can meet and uh, face-to-face at some point and uh, get to know each other better. By all means. You know, I didn't take notice, but where are you from? Uh, We live in the Chicagoland area. All right. Well, I have um, a chalk artist reunion gathering every second Saturday of September every year. And uh, I'd just like to extend the invitation to you if you would like to come. Thank you very much. We don't get to Pennsylvania too often. It's outside yeah. of our uh, territory. But please <laughs> please drop me an email on that, and maybe I'll be able I'll to work I'll do that. Out. Okay. I'll do that. Elva, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> All right. Let's keep in touch now. God bless you. Uh-huh, likewise. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed the very first lady that we were able to present here on Chalked and Amazed, Elva Hurst. And I hope that you'll swing by our website and take a look at some of the links that we have posted with Elva Hurst's podcast posting. 
also on chalkedandamazed.com. You will find some resources that you can download absolutely free. One of the newest to be posted there is a little article that I wrote recently called Squeezing Ultra Bright Blacklight from Your Easel Hood. Now, over the years, uh, I've had to wrestle with venues that were not darkened properly. Uh, but recently I discovered a fairly simple solution that solves most of these lighting problems and for a modest cost. So I hope you'll go take a look at that article. I hope now that after listening to the interview with Elva Hurst, you feel a little more inspired, a little more encouraged in your own chalk art ministry. In short, I hope you feel a little more chalked and amazed. <laughs> ¶¶ 